Hello, everyone. From the Tampa Bay Times, you're listening to Coronavirus in Florida, The Lost Summer. I'm your host, Austin Fast, and it's Thursday, August 6th. This show explores all the ways COVID-19 is affecting summer 2020. We'll share the facts behind the spread of the virus and discuss what could happen next. On today's episode, the most magical place on Earth has lost some sparkle. Just this week, Disney announced revenues from parks, resorts, and cruise lines plunged 85% for April through June. That's compared to the same period last year. CEO Bob Chapek says Florida's coronavirus cases have given some level of trepidation to travelers who are anxious about long-distance travel, jumping on a plane and flying to Walt Disney World. So every day we're pretty close to uh, the percentage of the park that we can uh, fill and still maintain the social distancing. And Disney's not alone in these big losses. Last week, NBC Universal reported a 94% decline in theme park revenue for the second quarter. They hit pause on the construction of a new Epic Universe theme park in Orlando and have laid off park workers, but they won't say how many. And SeaWorld Entertainment is in the same boat. Busch Gardens, Adventure Island, and the company's 11 other parks have seen a 95% drop in attendance and earnings compared to this time last year. But it's not all doom and gloom. SeaWorld says bookings are way up for next year compared to 2020. And the Disney Plus streaming service hit 60 million subscribers, which it hadn't expected to do until 2024. In mid-July, costumed Disney World employees line up along Main Street USA, welcoming guests back to the Magic Kingdom after a four-month shutdown due to coronavirus. Disney's CEO says they're replacing cancellations from people out of state with locals and season pass holders. Jennifer Neldner is among them. Say hi, guys! I knew that I was going to try and go, no matter what. Galloping horses! Here's how the carousel in front of Cinderella's castle sounds on a typical day last December. Neldner posts video to social media showing the same ride in July. It's totally abandoned during what would normally be the height of summer crowds. It was almost, not creepy, but like just weird, you know, to be in parts of the park and not see that many people. Disney's website points out there's an inherent risk of exposure to COVID-19 in any public place. But the park has new rules to try and keep visitors healthy. Disney World has cut back capacity to encourage social distancing, and face masks and temperature checks are required to enter the parks. There were parts of the park that were so empty that you would see people kind of go off to the side and take their mask off for a minute and take a break. But because there was no, there was no one around you and you're outside. And like for me personally, that does not bother me one bit. Busch Gardens, Universal, and Disney World have all added relaxation zones. Imagine something like an old smoking area set off to the side where guests can relax with masks off. That's as long as they keep at least six feet apart. Sharon Kennedy Wynn covers Florida theme parks for the Tampa Bay Times. I kind of liken myself to a sports reporter. I always say, like, sports reporters don't root for the team to lose. But you got criticism of, like, the coach or maybe some players. And I am the same way. I love theme parks. Enterprise editor Maria Carrillo recently interviewed Wynn for the Times podcast, Right Lane. Let's jump in as they're discussing how differently 2020 turned out from what Florida's theme parks were expecting. And this was going to be a big year, right? 
It was. That's one of the big trends has been that they don't just open a new ride. They open a whole land or they open something really extra thing. Bush Gardens was getting ready to open a killer roller coaster that was going to set world records for how steep of a drop it was. And it was like, it's called Iron Gwazi. It looks crazy. And of course, uh, Disney World had just opened its new Star Wars land, which they had given really high hopes to, to having a big boost in attendance, which it really didn't happen, actually. And every single theme park had a new big attraction coming up. And several of them, they're actually putting in mothballs. I think they're almost going to wait until maybe next summer when we have a normal vacation season rather than opening them up now when there's hardly anybody there. So it's interesting because they, they, there's like an arms race, how much money they spent. We're talking like $100 million a piece on what they spend on these big lands of stuff to entertain us. And that all came to a screeching halt mid-March. You know, it, it ended up being the uh, first of them didn't open up until mid-June, and Disney itself didn't open until uh, almost mid-July. So they were closed for almost four months at that point. So how hard is that when you're thinking about covering them reopening? Like, do we cheer the opening? Do we cringe at the opening? <laughs> you know, and then you have to decide, do you go out there in the middle of all that, right? They were doing more than most in terms of keeping attendance down, temperature checks, really actually enforcing mask policies. That's one of the things. Some places, they say they have a mask policy, but, you know, they're trying to be nice to their their guests and their customers, and they are, but they are really enforcing it, keeping people spaced apart. And I think their big fear is if there's a spike as a result of them, that would be disastrous. So they're trying really hard not to be. And I've been keeping a close eye on that. I've not seen that yet. I went to Bush Gardens opening day, and I got to say, I wasn't, I wasn't uncomfortable. I was wearing a mask, and everybody was pretty well spaced out. And I was outside. So Bush Gardens is more so that I think Disney even has more outdoor spaces. So that feels a little more comfortable to me. And Disney does have indoor theaters. And what they're doing is every other row is empty. And, and even at the rides, they're doing every, like, I think, and it's a small world, only like two families at a time per boat. Whereas normally there's like, I think there's six or eight rows to a boat. So they're doing their best to keep people apart. So we'll see how that goes. That's going to be the big challenge. Is there a way to keep going? When you're talking to these families who are there, I mean, do you feel judgy or do you understand where they're coming from? Do you want, because I mean, it's sort of like, you know, is now the time to go to Disney World? <laughs> I know. I'm totally with you on that because, I mean, there, there's also two schools of uh, when people cover Disney because many people are very judgy on any day when it comes to like, you know, oh, these crazy Disney people. And I get it. But at the same time, it's like some people like baseball, some people like wrestling. There's, there's things people love, and we shouldn't judge them on what they love. And people love this place. And um, so I'm not going to judge them on that part of it. But what I've gotten from the people I know, I, I, like I said, I actually did not go to the opening day of Disney World, but I did cover it by having contacts with people who were there and watching social media. And actually, sometimes I worry that... It felt like you were there. People told me that. I'm, I wonder, was I unethical the way I wrote that? I was trying really hard to say I was not there, but I was <laughs> getting reports back. But um, the people who were there felt like everyone around them was being pretty good. They were um, minding their P's and Q's and keeping wearing their masks and keeping their distance and you know doing as told. So I think that's part of it is... <laughs> when you're in the Disney complex, you, you obey the rules. <laughs> you, you also mentioned being sort of a consumer reporter, right? You're, so so that's, that's a big part of the way that you approach this. They crossed the $100 mark. Uh, it was about five years ago, I think it was. They finally, it was like a big deal to cross the $100 mark. They all have done that now. 
And I will actually defend it a little bit. What's the last, what did you pay for your last concert? I spent, I think, 115 to see Bruno Mars and have a decent seat for two hours of entertainment. So $110 to spend from 9 a.m. to midnight in a, in a theme park with all of us going, but that really isn't too outrageous when you think about the amount of time and entertainment you can get. And when you think about it, too, what a big employer they are for Central Florida. I mean, gosh, I want to say 80000 or It could be more. I, I could be way underplaying it. They, they employ a ton of people. And that's just one. Universal does, too. So does Bush Gardens. So does Sea. They all employ tons and tons and tons of people. So it's been a, a big hit for the unemployment in the area. Part of that, too, is that they don't necessarily pay their work. They pay their workers. I think Disney pays better than most, but not too much above minimum wage. So that's the thing, too, is like, are they going to be making better off unemployment versus, um, so there's a lot of elements, the business elements to it are very important, but they are a big player. And they also have strong lobbyists. They get big tax breaks. That's another element I have worked on, on some of these things that they, they get tax breaks that are meant for, say, like an inner city neighborhood providing jobs, and they, they happen to be in that same neighborhood, so they get, they get some of these, like Universal has gotten some of these tax breaks that really were meant for inner cities. It's like, so we try to keep an eye on that, of, of how much they can take advantage of their very strong lobbying force. And they had several members of their executives were on the reopening task force for the state, so you've got to believe they had some influence on how the state decided when they could reopen and how. But I do think it's in their best interest not to be a super spreader. So I do think they're trying their best not to do that. So that's been my impression, at least. That was Times reporter Sharon Kennedy Wynn speaking with our enterprise editor, Maria Carrillo. Check out our Right Lane podcast on your favorite listening platform for their full conversation. And just so you know, that's Right Lane spelled W-R-I-T-E, L-A-N-E. Okay, everyone, that does it for us today on Coronavirus in Florida. As always, for the latest information on the pandemic across the state, you can visit tampabay.com slash coronavirus. And if you like today's show, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback and your suggestions. You can find me on Twitter at A underscore fast or shoot me an email at afast at tampabay.com. This has been Coronavirus in Florida, The Lost Summer. I'm your host, Austin Fast. Thank you so much for listening, and stay healthy out there.